Uh, we're going to jump back into uh, our teaching, and we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, you all know that we finished uh, our uh, midweek study on this book, and I've been unpacking some truths just at a little deeper level on Sunday morning so that we can all make sure that we understand that this letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the uh, church at Ephesus was a very powerful book, a transformative book. It had principles that helped the church to understand their role in the world today. Can I get a witness? And so if you have your Bibles, let's go back to Ephesians, the fifth chapter is where we, we left off. And we've been talking about God's plan for marriage. And as I, I said uh, uh, previously, uh, marriage goes deeper than just a man and woman hooking up. It's a little bit deeper than that. And God has a plan for it. He, he, he uses, we see here as we're going to go to the 31st verse of this fifth chapter, and then we're going to pack up and begin to see some of these things that, that we are uh, implored to do to make sure that, that relationship mirrors and it matches what God designed for it to mirror and match. Look in the fifth chapter, and we're going to start at verse number 31. Are you there looking at it with me? All right, let's go, guys. It says what? As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into what? One. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are what? One. What is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one? Y'all talk to me. It's the husband-wife relationship. Guys, I, would, I want you to know that in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, and even some in the New Testament, there's a lot of things that are, that are put into play as what we call typology. It's a it's a foreshadowing. It's a mirroring of those things to come. And so God uses this husband-wife relationship, this covenant promise relationship to give the world an illustration of how Jesus and the church are one, how God and the Son are one, and how when we connect together as one, there is power in that unity. Are y'all listening to me today? He says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Next verse says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must do what? Say it again. The wife must do what? Must respect her husband. All right. So we're going to continue to unpack this little piece of this because literally he goes into talking about the family unit in verse number six, chapter number six. But we close this chapter out and we talked about the fact that that in this illustration, there's some things that we got to understand that no matter how much you think you're married to your soulmate, and this is the person that God put you on, on this life, on, on this earth to connect with, which is great. But that person who you're connected with cannot and should not be the one who meets your deepest needs. Are y'all listening to me today? Remember we said that only Jesus if you can pop this up, say only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. And what were those four deepest needs that every human being has? We said, number one, we have a need for acceptance. I need to know that I'm loved and accepted for who I really am. We said acceptance. We said, number two, we said identity. Everybody has a need for identity. We said I am special, I'm unique, and I'm significant. God personally and individually created me in my mother's womb. You are uniquely made. Now listen, 
It's important for us to know that and understand that because when someone comes at you and tells you that you're not this and you're not that and, and you, you begin to feel that way because someone who you were connected with rejected you, if you don't understand who meets your deepest needs, you could be in a very precarious state because that person left you. Are y'all with me? The person who you were married to no longer want to be married to you any longer. They left you. But guys, let me tell you something. Uh, I don't care who it is and how they left you. They may have, they, y'all remember the song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover? Back in the day. Uh, this, <laughs> slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. Don't need any car, Roy. Just listen to me. Hop on the bus, Gus. Don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee, and set yourself what? You may have had somebody who literally left you and you were despondent and you were depressed and maybe you were even suicidal. But I'm here to tell you, don't ever get to the point to where you think a person, human being on this earth is the one who meets your deepest needs. When you understand that Jesus is the one who meets your deepest need, even when tragedy comes your way, you still, you're hurt, there'll be pain, but you'll know how to persevere. Can I get a witness? So number one, acceptance. Number two is identity. Number two, three is security. And number four is purpose. And we said that when we don't understand that and we, we look to others uh, to meet those deep, deepest needs, the, the principle of transference comes into play where we try to, to get those needs met. Uh, we transfer the expectation of those needs onto another human being, even including our spouse. And what we end up doing is, is we end up getting in a bad situation when we get there. So, so I want to keep moving because I, my time is short, but I want you to hear me carefully today. We said that it's important that we realize that, that there's some things that happen when we start to transfer that to other people. But what does the Bible say about trusting something or someone other than God to meet your deepest need? Now, again, he uses the marital relationship to give us a picture of how Christ connects to the church. But there are some things that happen when we try to uh, uh, trust someone else or someone other than God to meet our deepest need. Uh, go, to, uh, go to Proverbs, the 28th chapter. And we're going to look at this from the King James Version of the Scripture, Proverbs 28. And we'll look at verse number 26 right quick. Proverbs 28, verse number 26. Are y'all all right today? How many of y'all still without power at home? Okay, we got some folks without power. Y'all got dressed in the dark and came on out, right? All right, God bless you. Thank you for being here. I tell you what, when you're sitting in the hot heat, it's not fun, is it? But what you have to do is, is learn. What, what I, you know, it, it's easy to sit there and sulk and, and complain and call Swepco every five minutes. But that's not good for what ails you. What I started doing was, it's just, okay, let me settle my mind. I, you know, I know it's going to be a little warm, so we're going we're gonna to make sure that we close the shades and don't let too much sunshine in so the house can stay cool. Uh, but we're not going to sweat this. We're going to believe God. He's going to carry us through till the power comes back home. And I, I know you say, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. Yours back home. <laughs> but I was off all day. But it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. It's learning how to, to set your mind on things above and not on things on earth. And you can get through whatever situation you're going through, including this, what we happen to deal with today, okay? Now, watch the text here. Are y'all there? So, so what does the Bible say about trusting something or someone other than God to meet your deepest needs? Uh, Proverbs 28 and 26 says this. He that trusted in his own heart is a what? 
Let's read it again. Come on. He that trusted in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be what? Delivered. The NLT says those who trust their own insight are foolish. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom and God's word are synonymous. They're one and the same. God's word is wisdom. God's word is truth. His, his, his word is spirit, it's life. And so we learn to trust in the wisdom of God's word rather than trusting in our feelings. We can begin to walk in a way where we can experience victory. So, it's, it's, it's so, so make sure that don't trust in your own foolish insight. Go to Jeremiah 17, verse 5 through 8 from the NLT. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 through 8. Just simply trying to discover what does the Bible say about trusting something or someone other than God to meet your deepest needs. Again, what are our deepest needs? Huh? Number one is what? Acceptance. What's number two? Identity. Number three is what? Security. Number four is what? Purpose. Let me say this out loud on purpose without any fear or trepidation. Every last one of you in here and every last one of you watching this via live stream, you need to understand that you were created for purpose. And God loves you. God wants to have relationship with you. God wants to commune with you. And he wants that relationship to be an intimate relationship. One where y'all are close. All right. One to go and talk to him in the midnight hours. One where you can talk to him early in the morning. In the middle of the day, you can say, God, he don't ever get tired of hearing you. I got news for you. Some of your friends get tired of hearing you. Hello? They may not tell you that. And, and if, if and if they kind of want those fake friends, they'll go and tell the, their other friend, you know, child, she called me all the time. I just get tired. She just talk, talk, talk. He just talk, talk, talk. And, and you thinking while they listening to you that they really just embracing you and just you, you got a listening ear. But they tired of listening to you. But the God that I serve, he never gets tired. You can call him in the midnight hour. You can call him in the morning, 3 a.m., and he's listening. I thank God for that. Amen. So I got a God who I can talk to it all the time. Watch what the text says here. Let's go. All right. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Verse number six. Let's read together. It says what? They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. Let's look at it. It says what? But blessed are those who what? Trust in the Lord and who have and have made the Lord their what? Their hope and their confidence. Verse number eight for good measure. Let's read. They are like trees planted along a riverbank. Who, who are like trees? Those who made the Lord their confidence, right? Who trust in him. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. See, when you learn how to trust God, you're going to be solidified when the storms of life come your way. And trust me, bet your bottom dollar, I don't care how old you are, how wise you are, how long you've been in church, storms will come your way. There's going to be some things in life that are going to be difficult 
for us to handle as human beings, but if we learn how to trust God through them. Can I get half a witness up in here? So, so, so again, so learn how to trust. Go to Proverbs, the 11th chapter, verses 27 through 28 right quick. Proverbs, the 11th chapter, verses 27 through 28. Learning how to trust God, amen, in our relationship. Learning how to trust God uh, to be the one, the preeminent source for our confidence. Thank God for the trusted one in our life, but ultimately people will let you down. You know, I love my wife. We've been married 37 years, but there are some times when she lets me down. She doesn't do what I want her to do. Why are y'all looking at me like that? There are some times when you, uh, when, when I've let her down and I haven't been where I need to be for her because we as human beings are fallible. We mess up. Let me see the hands of all y'all who messed up since you've been saved. Some of y'all say, I'm messed up now, Pastor. <laughs> no, all of us, all of us, at some point in time, miss it. All of us are not as lovable as we need to be at times, right? All of us are, 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 are not as kind and considerate as we need to be. But I thank God that he's there always waiting with arms wide open, ready to listen to us and to pardon us when we mess up, all right? Watch what the text says here, Proverbs 11, 27 and 28. It says, if you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it'll find you. How many of y'all know if you, look, if you go looking for trouble, it'll find you, right? Look at the next verse. Watch this. Watch this. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. Read that again. Come on now. Let's go. Trust. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. I like what the, I think it was the Apostle Paul told him, uh, the, the church. Uh, he says, uh, he says, charge them who are rich according to this world system that they, that they, that they trust not in uncertain riches. Because, again, money can be here today and gone tomorrow. Inflation can eat up your dollar. Can I get a witness? So I don't want to dare trust money. I'm going to trust my God. When my heart is, is supplanted to him, that I can have the confident assurance that he's able to do whatever he wants to do in my life. When we trust Jesus on a person, through a daily personal relationship, it empowers us to relate to our spouse and it empowers us to relate to others. When we learn how to trust Jesus through a daily personal relationship, our hurts are healed. How many of y'all got some hurts that need to be healed? You remember the Samaritan woman that we left off talking about last week? The Samaritan woman was transformed from a rejected mess into a world changer all through her personal encounter with Jesus. Go to Psalms 107 with me, verse number 20. Psalms 107, verse number 20 right quick. Are you still tracking with me today? Psalms 107. And let's look at verse number 20. Psalms 107, verse number 20. Glory to God. I am so super excited. Again, listen, I'm glad to be here in this place. I'm glad that God allowed us to gather this morning. You know, I'm always glad to come to to the house of worship. But this morning, I'm just feeling extra grateful. Have you ever woke up in the morning and just felt extra grateful? You start thanking God that your hair ain't all the way great. This little stuff, amen? And some of y'all wake up thanking God for Miss Clairol that it turns it from gray to black. Just little stuff, little stuff like that, okay? 
Watch the text. Psalms 107, verse number 20. It says, he sent out his word and did what? And healed them, snatching them from the door of what? Death. So read again. He sent out his word and healed them and did what? Snatching them from the door of death. Verse 21 for good measure. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for one, for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his what? Glorious acts. When you, when you come into a personal relationship with Jesus that has been cultivated on a daily basis. What do you mean by that, Brother Pastor? I mean that once you become a born-again believer, it is incumbent upon each one of us to grow in our faith. The Bible says this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you grow thereby. Guys, let me tell you something. If you don't have word time and prayer time, your spiritual growth will be stunted. Can I get a witness? But all of us have been called upon to grow in our faith. And once we become born again, we begin to grow. This Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered at the well, once she received that, that word. And again, remember I told you, the Bible is full of typology. And that Samaritan woman is a type of the church because she was Jew and Gentile in one body. The church is what? Jew and Gentile encased in one body. She went about sharing the good news with others and got them saved because her hurts were now healed. Listen to me very carefully and do not miss this. Until our past is healed, it is still controlling our present and limiting our future. See, all of us got a past that we need to be healed from because all of us were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. All, nobody in here was born saved. So as a result, we came from a position of being bound by sin to now being set free by our personal relationship with Jesus. So our hurts are healed when we personally grow on a daily basis. We are also filled with his love and, uh, and we have the ability to love others. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And let's look at verse number 34. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And we're going to look at verse number 34. Glory to God. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and let's look at, start our reading at verse number 34. Listen, I'm glad that God gave this picture of the husband-wife relationship to show us how Christ connects to the church. But the question becomes, how well am I climbing up that mountain of marital uh, 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 bliss? How well am I doing? Have I got to the middle and stopped working on it? There are many of y'all sitting here today listening to my voice and listening to your live stream who don't do anything to really work on your relationship. You're there. Nobody's going anywhere, but you're not really progressing. Remember I told you that, that, that term mediocre uh, and it's symbolic of a mountain climber who's got to the middle of uh, the middle of the mountain trying to climb to the He stops there and he gets settled in. See, God never wants our marital relationships to settle for just okay. Because just okay is not okay. And certainly bad and horrible is not okay. God desires for us to keep climbing so that we can show the world what true love looks like. Can I get one amen on that? 
He wants us to grow in our relationship so that when people see us connecting, it gives them a visible picture of how God wants to connect with his children. Watch what the text says in Matthew 22, verse number 34. Let's read together. Y'all there? Let's read. It says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, talking about Jesus, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Watch this. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Watch this. Next, next verse says what? A second is what? Stop. If something is equally important, that means what? It's on the same level. So now Jesus had confounded and dumbfounded some of these religious folks who were trying to trap him because they didn't like the fact that he had a following. People were, were getting saved. They were following Jesus Christ. They were, they were leaving uh, the, the, the tenets of Judaism, and now they were following after Christianity. And there were many of these Jewish uh, Pharisees and Sadducees who were coming to try to trap him so they could get rid of Jesus. And so now Jesus got, had put some of the other ones to, to, to bay, but now some other ones come up and say, we, I, know, I know how we can get him. What's the greatest commandment? He says, well, he says this, this is the first and the greatest commandment. A second one is equally important on the same level. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right? Watch this. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on what? These two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor what? as yourself. You can wrap the whole Bible up into, into those two, two verses, really. If I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and love my neighbor as my there's going to be some stuff I just wouldn't be doing. How are you as a husband going to talk degrading and curse your wife out and you're supposed to be loving her as you love yourself? How, wife, can you do the very same thing and disrespect and dishonor your husband with your nasty attitude and, 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 and obey this commandment? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is based on these two commandments. So watch this. Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah whose son is he? They replied, he's the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said, uh, the, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in a place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies before your feet. Now watch, I'm going to stop here because in another, another passage, a very similar situation is, is, is laid out. And then the, the question is asked, who is your neighbor? And that's when Jesus told the parable of the what? Good Samaritan. Y'all remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? When the Jewish person was walking along, was traveling by his way, and he was attacked, left for dead, beaten, and on the side of the highway, and then two religious folks came by, looked at him, and went on the other side. Saw him there, needed help. His own kinfolks, his own ethnic group, and they left from there. But then the Samaritan came in the... Oh, look at the typology in this in 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 the, in the parables that Jesus told. Isn't it, uh, is it? Does it ever? Does it ever pique your curiosity as to why Jesus chose to illustrate who a true neighbor is by bringing a Samaritan and a Jew together, a Jew who needed help, and a Samaritan who culturally hated a Jew. But yet, in his story, 
of, the, of who's a good neighbor, he chose to use a Samaritan. That was not by accident. It was not by accident because what he's trying to show is that when I go to the cross of Calvary, when I shed my blood on Calvary's hill, the manifestation of God's plan is going to come into play where I'm going to take Jew and Gentile who are separate, who hated one another, but I'm going to bring them together into one body. That's the body of Christ. Samaritan came and helped him, bound up his wounds, told the innkeeper, if there's any other expenses, amen, charge them my account, I'll take care of it when I come back. Those religious folks do like some, some, some religious folks in here do. We see a need and we pass by on the other side. The call is given to go out and serve, but we don't ever serve. We just come and sit. Amen. Is anybody in the house? You remember the challenge I gave each one of us? One in-reach ministry and one outreach ministry. We keep giving opportunities to serve, but you keep looking at them and saying, that's for somebody else. I'm here to tell you, God wants this church and every other church to get outside of these four walls and let's embrace the love of Christ and share it with our community at large. Everybody say, sir. See, the neighbor was the good Samaritan was a was a type of the church because the church should be out. Amen. Meeting those critical needs that are in our community, showing the love of God. Are y'all still with me today? So so we we, we, we feel with his love. And, 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 and when we have a personal relationship with Christ and we're, and we're growing, we're filled with his love and we possess the ability to love others, just like the good Samaritan did. And just like the woman at the well, who, who's a Samaritan, went and told others about the man who she had met. And then the other thing that happens is our sins and our selfishness are challenged and changed into Christ's character when we are growing personally. All of us are inherently selfish. Would y'all agree with me? Even if you don't agree, I know I'm right about it. We're born, we're selfish because all of us want our individual needs met. And God says, I'm trying to transform you into helping meet others' needs. And as you meet others' needs, I'll meet your needs. Can I get a witness? So, so marriage, God's, God's plan for marriage. Marriage was never designed to be entered into without God at the center of it. Do y'all understand that? From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, marriage was created to be an intimate relationship, relationship between one man and one woman with a dependence on God to supply each spouse their deepest needs. So it is an unhealthy relationship when I'm depending on you to feel like I'm accepted. And you, you are unhealthy if you need Facebook likes to feel like you healthy. Come on, all you social media folks. Now listen, social media can be a tool. It can be a viable tool. But don't get to the point to where you get disappointed if only two people like your post. Because if I'm looking for acceptance from a world where the vast majority of the people don't even know me, and I'm disappointed when I don't get that great job. Oh, you look wonderful. There is something missing in you, and Jesus can meet that need. I don't need someone else to tell me that I'm okay to know that I'm okay. Because I got a connection with Jesus. I know I'm accepted. I know my identity. I know my purpose. Can I get a witness? All right, so, so, so 
for, for, so as we look at this thing, God is our source. Marriage is wonderful and, and fulfilling when it's God-centered and God-designed. Marriage, above all else, is a typology of Christ's commitment to the church. Our relationship with each other is intended to reflect our relationship with Christ. And through marriage, we are given a small glimpse of God's eternal covenant with humankind. Guys, understand this. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. His, his side was pierced and his blood was spilled so that you and I could have a relationship with him. Amen. And in the same way, Adam's side was pierced and his blood spilled so that he could have a relationship with Eve. And through the covenant of marriage, we find ourselves ushered into those secret places of God, guys. Amen. In a very real and dynamic way, marriage allows us to be supernaturally participating with God in his divine nature. The Bible tells us, I think it's in Peter, says we are partakers of the divine nature. That means we have God's nature on the inside of us. So marriage was created above all things to demonstrate God's splendor and his beauty, and it exists solely for God's glory. So if it exists solely for God's glory, and he, and he called us to that important union, that important covenant, why is it that it seems like we do it in such a horrible way? When I say horrible way, I mean this. If 50% of the people getting married or divorced and I'm not talking about outside the church. You would think that, okay, in the church, those of us who are getting this information, those who are, us are being taught, you're in a church that talks about marriage and how to do marriage the right way, you would think that the divorce rate would be lessened. And I think it is in this church. But we still have some who don't make it. And those who don't make it are those who refuse to learn about what God's true plan is. That's why I'm teaching this thing. That's why I'm encouraging you, 275, a couple to come to the marriage retreat so we can pour into you. Can I get a witness? Because it is a, it is a picture of God's relationship to the church. Because the church is the bride of Christ. Y'all do that, right? The church is known as the bride of Christ. So, so in, in this model, in this, go back to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, right quick. And we're going we're gonna to go back up to verse number 21. Everybody say, God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is manifested in the marital relationship. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse number 21. He says this, and further submit to one another out of reverence for whom? Christ. If you are a born again believer, and I believe that Christians, a Christian should marry another Christian. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? All right? So, so he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Verse number 22, let's read. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Next verse says this, let's read. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. Let's keep going. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Watch this. For husband, this means. What does that mean? It means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Watch this. Uh, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Now stop right here. Husbands, I know we love that part about wives submit to us, right? I say husbands. Husband love the part about the wives submitting to them. As a matter of fact, most guys can quote that. 
They don't even read their Bible, but they can quote that. Are y'all with me? But they get quiet when Paul outlines how they should act toward their wives. I can tell you there are, there are not a whole lot of guys who are, who, are, who are ready to be held to that same high standard that Christ, loving our wife the same way in the same similar fashion to where Christ loved the church. It was unconditional. It was that Greek word for love, agape love. It's not predicated on how what she does, but it's, cred- it's predicated on, uh, on who I am in Christ. What do you mean by pastor? Can you love a person regardless of what they do? What if they come in with a nasty attitude? How do you respond, husband? Husband, how, how do you respond when you're... Okay, let me back up. Any husband have wives that have nasty attitudes sometimes? And you're not scared to raise your hand. I see some of y'all doing this back there. All right, so if she comes in with a nasty attitude for whatever reason, and, and, and you know what it is, she won't even speak to you. You know, just kind of come in and give you that look. How many husbands know the look? Nod, nod your head, you know the look. You, you don't, she don't even have to say anything, and you see it on her face. But we're still required to love her through that. Right? It's not based on what she does. It's based on who he is and who we belong to. Now, women have the opposite response. They love what Paul has to say about husbands being sacrificial and sensitive in nursing, but they cringe at the thought of being submissive. I didn't get, I got one amen from a woman back there. One wife said amen. This passage in Ephesians 5 actually runs counteractive to what culture teaches us. Everything about our society tells us to guard our independence, to look at ourselves, to seek what will make and meet, meet our needs and, and not let anyone get in our way. But God tells us to do the exact opposite. See, it's, it's one thing to say, husband, love me, but it's another thing to say, reverence and submit yourself to your husband. As unto whom? Bible readers, as unto whom? In the same way that you submit to the Lord, you should submit to your husband. So maybe, maybe that's the problem. You don't submit to the Lord. Maybe that's the problem because you're not in your word and you don't know what God's word says. So submission is something that you think is, is detrimental and, and, and it's, it's, it's not something that you're going to submit to. But listen, it is important for you. And I'll tell you, just, I'm, I'm going to give you four things that your husband needs from you. And I'm going to give you four things that your wife needs from your husband. And we're going to be out of here. Okay. Y'all with me? See, society tells us that marriage is about finding the right person. But God tells us marriage is about being the right person. Are y'all listening to me? Some some people aren't ready for marriage because they don't know who they are in Christ Jesus yet. They're looking for a man or a woman to fulfill their deepest needs. And their needs, those four needs I gave you, that, that can only truly be fulfilled when you have a vibrant, personal, intimate relationship with the Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about coming to church. It's one thing to come to church, but coming to church don't get you where you need to be. It's about a personal daily relationship with Jesus. Culture tells us that marriage is about meeting our own needs while maintaining our own identity. But God tells us marriage is about sacrificing our needs for the sake of our spouse. Wow. The world tells us marriage is all about happiness. God tells us marriage is all about holiness. Are y'all listening to me today? 
God tells us if you want to find yourself, you do it by losing yourself in service to others. It's in losing yourself that you find true contentment and joy. Nowhere is that dynamic truer than within the covenant of marriage. Now, again, watch this. And I know, uh, go back to Ephesians 5 and 22 with me right quick. Let's read that out loud and on purpose. And I, I need to kind of pull on it just a little bit. Can we read together? Let's read. For wives, this means. No, 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 no. Y'all, y'all not reading it loud enough. No, I, I, I need some feeling in that. I need some intensity in that. Because, see, some of y'all are reading that from your experiences. And when you think about your experiences, you think the word of God can't be true to you because you had a bad husband. So now it's tough on you. But let me, let me just, can we, let's keep moving. Watch this. For wives, this means what? Submit to your husbands as what? Listen to me. Many, I, I know you get anxious. A lot of wives get anxious when they read this verse, but it's because we misconstrue what it means to be submissive. Now, now, when we submit ourselves to Jesus, we don't fear being dominated or controlled or abused by Jesus, do we? Right? What we are doing is giving him a place of honor and respect and leadership in our life. We know the character of Jesus, and it's in that character that we place our trust. It's in that same spirit of humility that women are told in this verse to submit to their husband, to hold them in a place of honor and respect and leadership, not to become subservient or allow them to be themselves to be abused, but to treat their husbands with admiration and esteem. Let me, I t- I've said this before and I'll say it again. Wives, if you will learn to respect your husband, he'll run through a brick wall for you. He'll, he'll die on the hill for you. When he knows he, you respect him and you love him. Can I get a witness? And when you're not, when you're not demeaning him. But I know, I, I can hear some of y'all saying, well, if he ever starts acting like Jesus, I'll start treating him like Jesus. <laughs> I hurt you, I hurt you, I hurt you. <laughs> See, women are afraid of giving, uh, women are afraid of giving respect to a man who doesn't deserve it. Because it might make things worse. But let me tell you something. And her, and her husband has those same kind of fears, right? And if I do that, I'm going to be taken advantage of and I'm going to be disrespectful. Listen to me carefully. The Christian life is a, isn't about reacting to others based on their behavior. Amen? It's about responding to others according to the principles of Scripture, regardless of how we're treated. We're called to a higher standard of behavior. So as Christians... We got to commit to being imitators of Christ. So let me give you, so, 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 okay, in, in a nutshell, in my last six minutes, let me give you four things for the men and four things for the women. You got to write these down because I put, didn't put them on, on, your, on your outline. So, and these are things that, that we've taught for a number of years. So you've probably heard this before, but just because you heard it before, hear it again and start doing it. I said, hear it again and start doing it. Because many of y'all have went to marriage retreats, and the reason why you haven't been helped is because you won't do the stuff. I need you to write this down, and I've told you this before. The blessing is in the doing. Everybody say, the blessing is in the doing. The blessing ain't in the reading. The blessing ain't in learning about it. The blessing is in the doing. Be ye doers of the word and not what? Hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So, so. What do men want? Number one, men need to feel honored and respected by their wives. 
That's the number one need of man. Some of y'all may say it's sex. No, sex ain't number one. Because you can give a man good sex, but you don't honor him, you disrespect him, he still will be miserable. So number one, men need to feel honored and respected by their wives. Hear this carefully. No woman will ever succeed in a relationship with a man until she learns to respect him. Men are physically and emotionally incapable of binding their hearts to women who treat them with contempt and disdain and in a condescending manner. They, we, we just won't connect when we don't feel respected. Men gravitate to the place where they get the most respect and they run from places where they feel disrespected. Most men are terrified of dishonor. So wives, hear me carefully. He is not perfect. None of us are. But as a part of this relationship that God put into place, it still does not mean that you don't reverence and respect and honor. Y'all got that? Number one, men need to feel honored and respected by their wives. All right, number two, men need sexual intimacy. Men need sexual intimacy. I want to pop in uh, 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Y'all know this, but I got to share it with you because so many times this, and again, this, this is, let me say this, uh, this, this, this thing can be the other way too. You know, and, and I've seen it where, where, where women's needs in this area have been uh, 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 disregarded. But by and large, number two, men need sexual intimacy. Look at, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, chapter, and uh, verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 1. This is Bible. Are y'all listening to me? So men need what? Come on, let's talk. Men need what? Sexual intimacy. Men need sex. Okay, y'all got that? All right, watch this. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's responding to a question that they gave him. He says, now, regarding the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. I'm still teaching what the Bible teaches. If you are unmarried, refrain until you get married. Oh, pastor, you, 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 you're being naive. You've been, you, 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 you just, this is 2023. Do you reasonably expect a young man and a young woman to keep themselves? The Bible does. And the Bible says if you can't contain, get married. Well, brother, pastor, are you advocating that people get married just for, so they won't be in sin sexually? Well, let me tell you something. I'm just going to read what the Bible says. The Bible says if you can't contain yourself, get married. I, it's ill-advised for that to be the only reason why you get married, but, but it's, not, it's not kosher, it's not God-earned to still be shacking, still dating somebody and having sex with them outside of marriage, and you can't keep yourself. The Bible says it's better to, to marry than to burn in lust. To burn in lust means that, that, that you that you that you hot, you're on fire. Okay, all right. So I don't even to, go look up the colloquial phrase of she hot. All right, all right. Y'all with me? Watch this. Now, regarding the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to stay for sexual relations. Let's go. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Now, remember, as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, the, church, the city of Corinth was a, was, a, was a city that was awashed in sexual decadence. They had all kinds of stuff going on. 
Let me tell y'all something. Ain't nothing new under the sun. All this stuff with transgenderism, homosexuality, lesbianism, you think this stuff is new? That ain't new. It's been since, since time. Amen? But we got to realize is that God has a pattern and a plan for our sexuality. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Is that what your Bible says? All right. Next verse says what? The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, right? And the husband gives authority over his body to what? To his wife. Verse number five. Now, listen, as I say this, this should not be done in some draconian fashion to where it's, it's, it's developed your relationship. Sex should never be done outside of the cultivation of a, of a healthy emotional relationship. Otherwise, it just becomes a physical thing and an unfulfilling thing. But when you learn how to do it the right way, y'all, y'all, why are y'all looking at me? When you learn how to do it the right way, I'm not talking about you know, how, where, where you were, your position. I'm talking about when you learn how to connect. Why are y'all looking at me? When you learn how to connect emotionally and spiritually and physically, man, it's an awesome thing. But if you're only connecting physically, it can become a very draining thing. All right, watch this. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completed to prayer. Your wife, you ain't praying 365 days out of the year. So y'all missed that right there. All right, watch this. It says, when you agree to abstain mutually to give yourselves more completed to prayer, Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of what? Self-control. All right? Y'all with me? Now, look, look at what he also says. Uh, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Paul said it as a concession. I wish you were single like I am, Paul says, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Okay? So everybody don't have the gift of celibacy like Paul did. So number so men need to feel honored and respected by their wives. Men need sexual intimacy. Number three, men need friendship. Men need friendship. They need a wife who enjoys doing fun things together. Men need friendship. A wife who enjoys doing fun things together. So be, be, be willing to do some things with your husband, okay? Except sit down and watch TV. You know, TV is fine, but you got to do more than watch TV. All right. And number four, men need domestic support. They need domestic support. They need a wife who helps who helps take care of the home. Notice I said who helps take care of the home, who helps take care of the home. I didn't say a domestic slave. I said one who helps because many, many families are now uh, 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 or have a situation where the husband and the wife are employed. So if the husband and the wife are employed, then the husband and wife need to share in the domestic chores. But it's not all to be left on the wife. But we need the wife to help. You need to cook every now and then. And you certainly should clean the house with our help because you're working. And we, you come in closer. I need y'all to come in closer. Don't get offended. Domestic support is important. What does domestic support involve? Cleaning the house, helping cook, cook. I'm not saying you do it by yourself, but men need that help. 
Brothers, can I get an amen? These wives look at me like, I said help, right? All right. So, so those four things are important to men. Right? We need, we need, we need to feel honored and respected by our wives. We need sexual intimacy. We need friendship. We want to do things with you, okay? And we need, we need domestic support. A wife who will help take care of the things at the home front. Now, what do what do women win? What do women need? What do women need? Number one, women need security. Everybody say security. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, they need to know that their most basic needs are taken care of, that they are secure physically, emotionally, and financially. They need to feel nurtured and cherished and loved, so they need security. They don't need a man who gets fired from a job every three months. They don't need a man who drives her to work, drops her off, goes back home, hang out with his buddies, and come back and pick up from work, and then watch her cook, and clean. She needs security. She needs to know that you're going to be able to provide for her. Man, God, man. Y'all with me? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness, brothers? The Bible says if a man don't work, let him starve. <laughs> now, seriously, seriously, you know, you know, you shouldn't be having your wife feed you. You, 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 you got y'all go. If both of y'all gonna work, y'all sharing that responsibility. But a man has to. It, it's in our nature to be workers. God places in the garden even before the fall. God said, "I'm putting you in the garden. Dress it and keep it." There is something that God does through us when we have gainful employment. And gainful employment means it's honest day's work. No matter what you're doing, let it be honest day's work, and 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 don't don't diminish what you do. So men, women need security. Number two, women need affection. Everybody say affection. All right, and I, we're going to unpack some of these things at the marriage retreat. So you want to go deeper, we can go deeper. Okay? Not here, though. Okay? Women need affection. They need non-sexual intimacy and care. They need you, husband, to hug her, and it don't lead to nothing. Hello? Come on now. Some brothers... if. She sit down and give you and, and give you a swing and, and hug you like, oh, here we go. No, 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 no. She, she, just, she just wants to sit next to you and enjoy the show. Are y'all coming in close? All right, she, 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 women need affection. They need non-sexual intimacy and care. Number three, women need communication. Oh, here we go. They need communication. They need a husband who will open his heart and communicate honestly and transparently with her. Now, I will tell you, most guys struggle with this, being open, honest, and transparent. Most guys struggle with sharing their feelings because most guys were taught growing up as a young, young boy, don't show, don't, let, don't, don't show your own weakness, don't let your emotions uh, be on display, and certainly you don't cry. You hold that stuff in to project toughness. But what I'm telling you, your wife needs to be able to communicate with you. She needs to let you, she needs to know that you're listening to her and you're willing to open up and share a part of you with her. You, you know why, and, and let me say this, you know why sometimes affairs get started? Uh, it's because that inherent need for that wife in, 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 in any affair, there's no, there's no, there's no rational uh, godly excuse for an affair. Let me tell you, if you stepped out, it is wrong. I don't care what was happening in your house. 
Let me say that first. But now what ends up happening is many affairs start on the emotional front first because the husband who hasn't learned to communicate and hadn't learned to talk, hadn't learned to listen, hadn't learned to share for himself, he, and he won't do it, and he won't come to marriage retreat, he won't come to men's ministry to learn how to do it, he's just still doing him. I'm just going to be me. I'm rough, rough and tumble. And it, so now the woman's at work, and she's working with this guy who listens to her. The guy who, who laughs at her jokes, even though it may not be funny, but he's just laughing and cheesing. He's listening. He's sharing. And he's talking about what he feels and what, 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 what gets on the inside of him. And he begins to share. And all of a sudden, that, that, that need for affection is starting to be fulfilled by someone beside that husband. He even wrote her a little, a little poem at work to tell, tell her how good it is to work with her. And he's glad she's in the company. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm so glad I get to work with you. Now, that sounds corny, but she's sitting there really, <laughs> oh, isn't that cute? And all, of, all, all the time, that emotional connection, y'all think I'm lying? I've studied this stuff. I've seen this stuff. I've observed this stuff. And we got to make sure that we don't get caught in sexual, L- listen, women need communication, guys. That's all I'm saying. Learn how to talk. Give, you know, I know you may say, well, I'm keeping it all to myself, Pastor, because I, I just, I, you know, listen, that's the thing going on with me. And, when you hurt, let them know you hurt. When you're despondent and, and, and in a state of, 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 of disrespect, let them know that because that, that what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to allow her in. She needs to be able to communicate with you, to talk with you, to share with you, and not just y'all. You know, it's amazing, how, and I'm moving to this last one, but it's amazing how much we talk when we were trying to get her. Can, can stay off the phone with her. I told y'all, I told y'all my testimony when, I, when my wife and I were dating. We met over at Louisiana at the Louisiana Tech University. Tech gave me some good things. Y'all know that. I got my finance degree from there, which opened my career in banking. But I also found my wife there. All right, but but, but I used to talk to her back in the days. And some of you young people don't even know what this means. Back in the days of long distance, if you called a long distance number, you were charged extra for that. And I spent half my check during the summer when I was working on long distance phone bill, calling my wife in Haynesville. And when I could get to her, I would get to her throughout the course of the week. I'd go over there on a Tuesday night and come back at 12 o'clock and 1.30 and have to get up and go to work at 6.30. But I was trying to get to her. We were communicating. We were talking. Now, the tendency is, is once you get the person, now you stop talking. You can't talk about anything now, but while you were trying to get her, you on the phone. Hey, 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 how you doing, sweetheart? You know, I'm just sitting here, uh, you know, just, man, I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even go to sleep because you were on my mind. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, I couldn't get you off my mind, so I had to call you. I know it's late, but you know what? I just keep thinking about you all, you, you saying all this stuff, and now she can't get you to say three words. Three, three words. We got to communicate. Everybody say communicate. communicate. Women need a husband. Wives need a husband who will open up his heart and communicate honestly and transparently. And lastly, women need leadership. They need leadership. They need a husband who's willing to take charge and guide the family, not sit in the back seat. They need leadership. And again, 
I don't have time to unpack all of these, but again, we'll do these things as we go through, like I said, marriage treat and other things. We, we'll talk about these at a deeper level, but I'm just, I just want to introduce you some of this stuff because if you, most people don't study this. We just, they, just, they just get married and have no clue of what it, what it takes to have a strong relationship. But we're going to teach you here. If you want it, you can get it. You just got to come to the, I'm going to set the table, but you got to come to the table. I can't make you eat, but I'm going to set the table. I'm going to get in the kitchen and prepare the meal. And that's up to you to eat. God chooses to use the marital relationship. And Paul said it in verse number 32, of the fifth chapter, to show how Christ and the church connect. The oneness that's indicative and that's part of Christ and the church is on display with your marriage relationship. So my question to you is, how good of a picture are you painting? When people see you, will they want to come to the church? Or will they run from the church because they saw your marriage? We, we were, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to close on this. Maria and I are always trying to bless people. And we just, when the Lord, the Lord will um, put in our spirit to bless somebody, we, whether we're out at a restaurant or the grocery store or whatever. And oftentimes we'll be in line and we'll see an elderly person or somebody who we just, the Lord has laid up our heart to pay for their groceries. And we were in line yesterday, at, at, I think it was at Super One. And, and she, and I, I, I know what is getting ready to happen with her and she knows what's getting ready to happen to me. She, I saw her looking and I said, she's getting ready to pay for their, their, their groceries. And there's a, this guy probably was 70, 71, 72 maybe, and his wife was probably, I'm assuming it was his wife, uh, uh, was 71, 72. They were a biracial couple, and they're sitting there, and we were getting ready to pay for biracial hand. Nothing to do with anything. I'm just, I'm just description, okay? All right. But we, get, we were getting ready to pay for it, and, then, and she had pause. Because, you know why she paused? Because he was talking to her so ugly, and in such a foul way. She just put, took that checkbook, put it right back in her pocket. So I'm not going to bless that kind of mess. I mean, the dude just, I mean, and I, I, I'm, if I were to guess, I'm guessing they probably look like, look like they've been married probably about 25, 30 years or so. So you've been married 25 and 30 years, you're going to talk to your wife like she got a tail on her? We just, we can't bless that. But I'm here to tell you, we got to learn how to do this thing the right way. Let's study it. Let's learn our role as husband, our role as wife, so that God can use us to paint a picture of for humankind. Every head bowed, every eye closed.